Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, everyone. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we're here for episode 128 of the AB Testing Podcast, your wonderful podcast for all kinds of cool things. It's a story. No, don't sing. By a lovely lady. Do not, do not <laughs> sing. What have you been up to, Brent? COVID, COVID-ing, I guess. COVID-ing is cool, man. I, I really like being home in the same chair all day, every day, and talking to people all day. It's great. Yeah, my wife asked me why I'm going to work, and it's essentially because I can because I cannot stand, uh, I really cannot stand I'm, I'm, um, work coming to home. I'd I, like to keep those I lives separate. I actually like working from here. Yeah? Yeah. I was talking to the YouTube crowd before, and I'm actually taking some vacation days at home coming up because I was talking about the fact that at Microsoft, 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 is it pronounced soft or soft? I'm not sure. My, it, Microsoft... It, you, you're limited on how much vacation you can carry forward from one year to the next, but you always accrue vacation. Unity, same rule, you, carry, you limit on how much you can carry over, but there's also a limit on how much you can accrue. Meaning okay. I, I hit a max vacation I could possibly have and I was no longer making more vacation from my weekly work. Oh, I see. Lamo. So I'm taking some vacation days to do some chores around the house. So that's my first ones next week. I'm pretty excited. I'm going to work a four day week next week. That'll be fun. And uh, the other thing I've been doing is I now own a bunch of our Google contract and I'm doing a lot of work with finance to make sure our cost predictions are accurate, which is a whole lot of fun. Uh, that's sarcastic because I do I, I know how much I don't know. Gotcha. But we're getting closer. I'm, I'm faking it. I still find the right questions to ask, and, and we're getting there. We're getting there. I have no doubt that you will. The cost thing. Okay. Shall we go into directly into the meat of the show? It's a story. Oh, God. What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last time we talked about <laughs> how you, um, even my dog is mad at you. We talked about how you got your start in testing and how you moved away from it and kind of how you stumbled into modern testing along the way. And I want to tell my half of the story today. And if hopefully my dog will shut up. I shut my office door. I don't know if I should let her in, let her cry in here, or then she'll be quiet or what to do. So I'm just going to let her do her thing and see I what I think you should let her in. Uh, in a bit. So let her in. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Let's get started. And I'm going to count on you to ask questions uh, appropriate or, or move me along as needed. I'll start at the beginning. I was born, no, uh, I'll fast forward a little bit. I think most people know I was a music major in college. I graduated and I taught school for four years. I went back to grad school to get a master's in composition. Uh, while getting my master's, I learned how to use computers. This was, uh, I used a 
DOS-based music software notation program to do most of my work for grad school. Uh, I got really good at it. That company is no longer in business. I do have the source file still on some five and a quarter inch floppy disks, so I can do nothing with them. But after I got out of grad school, I was actually planning on going back into teaching, but there was so much red tape after taking a year off to get back into teaching and fees involved that I just decided I was going to do something else first so I could make the money to go back to being a teacher. So I got a job as a bicycle messenger. I lived downtown Seattle. I did that for a while until it got really crappy. It was a it was almost as toxic as some of my software teams I've worked on. But I bought a Sunday paper uh, for you youngsters. A paper is a way people used to deliver news before we had Reddit. And I got a Sunday paper and went through the want ads. That's what we had before we had monster.com and LinkedIn. And I looked through all the want ads, just kind of circling some random jobs to apply for. This was 1992, maybe 93. I don't really remember. 93. And One of the jobs I applied for was to do tech support at a company that made music software. And I applied for the job and I went through a rather lengthy interview, which I finally got the job for rather lengthy for an $8 an hour tech support job. I started about two weeks later, I showed up on my first day and they said, Oh, by the way, you're also the software tester. Another few hours went by and someone said, by the way, you're also our network administrator. This is what happens when you join a 17 person company. I said, great, I've never used a network before this morning, but it'll be fun. So I I learned as I went. Go ahead. It it already sounds like um, that you you started off towards exactly what our friend Jimbo describes as the definition of a test uh, position back in those days. Someone who does the remainder. Right. Everything else. Well, (laughs) what I did there was uh, I did tech support. And on our peak days, we we got like 10 calls. And 90 plus percent of my calls were actually helping them with Windows problems, not with problems with our product. Because Windows, at this time, uh, Windows 3.1, then there was Windows 3.1 with multimedia extensions. People bought these sound cards and put them in their computer and tried to get them to work. And they didn't know how, and there was this was before plug and play, so I helped them edit their system any and win any files so their stuff would work. In general, not for our not for our our software. Once they got Windows to work, our stuff would work fine. Very few of my questions were about our software. But the rest of the time was fun because one of the uh, programmers there uh, took me under his wing and made me learn C. He taught me the three most important things you need to know about C. What are those? Pointers, pointers, and pointers. We got a beta version of the first version of MS Test, and I began to use that to write some automation. I didn't know what I was doing. I just automated everything. It was really stupid, but it was a good learning experience for me. I tried to use their API. I figured some stuff out. I was In the end, I ended up writing our setup programs because those were largely based on Visual Basic, that, that setup language at the time. So that was fun. I was doing some stuff. I got promoted all the way from $8 an hour. I got a big raise to um, like $35,000 a year. And then for the second time, our CFO asked me to turn back the clock on our network server so we could shove a few more sales into the current quarter. And I thought, and this, and this was a public company, by the way. I thought, <laughs> uh, oh, and I thought, you know what? I don't feel good about this. So I quit. 
Yeah, and and by the way, yeah, okay. uh, by the way, not because of this, because of apparent worst things he did, he is banned from ever holding office in a public company again. So okay. the the just desserts said follow him around. So I quit, and I went. I went home and I got out a paper and I, there was a bunch of software testing jobs. I knew what testing was now. I thought I was good at it. Uh, I didn't think I was great at it. I thought I was good at it because I could write a bunch of MS test automation. Raise your hand if you know a million testers like that today. And just, just substitute Selenium for MS test. And I applied for a bunch of jobs. You know how I applied for them? I wrote up a resume and a cover letter and I used my fax modem to fax it to people. Because that's what we did then, <laughs> This was oh, 1994, dude. end of 94. And then I maybe fall of 94 because I my first day at Microsoft was the whatever the first work day in January was in 1995. And I was hired as a contractor and I worked they hired me because I knew testing, I knew networking, and this is where I have the famous quote of I talked to my manager, he handed me this list of test cases in Excel. And I said, go oh, great. When do you want these automated by? And he said, oh, no, we don't have time to automate. You need to run these every day. And I thought, huh. And I was bored of that. That was like a Monday. And I was bored by Tuesday. So I automated them by Thursday and then did a bunch of other work in my other time. So I, I started breaking the rules around day three. Another good story from then is the story where we had a bug quota. I was expected to find like 10 bugs a week. And of course, I would make sure I found, I re, sorry, I would make sure I reported 13 or 14 or 15 every week because I want to exceed. But if I found more, I would save them for the next week because I didn't want my well to dry out. Oh, God. <laughs> so I worked there for a while and uh, <laughs> fast forward, I was on a six month pro, uh, contract. This was in the days of perma contract, but no one told me. That was just, it was just going to get renewed. So when my contract began to end, I interviewed for other jobs. Okay. And I was offered a job. This is a story I don't tell very often, but the job offer I got was from ST Labs. I actually. Uh, this was the company, one of my interviews with, with James Bach, and they offered me a job. And I took it. I said, yes, I'll take your job. And I went to my manager the next day and said, hey, my contract's up in June, beginning of June. So, so January. It's been like five months. But anyway, my contract's up, so I'm going to take another job. And he goes, looks at me in the face like, what? And I said, well, my contract's up, so I got another job. So I uh, just want to let you know I'm going to start there in two weeks. And it was this was a contract job at ST Labs, by the way. But I didn't, you know, I was fine. I was young, healthy. It was good. So. Wait, wait, pause. Yeah. Because you just said something that, that tweaks my head. So. Was it addition? No. Okay. There was eight months where I was a contractor, and you know how most contractors go through Volt. I did not. My company was Software Testing Labs. Is that the same company? It could have been. Um, yeah, it is some contract. It was a contract testing place. I mean, they. Yeah, it could have been. And Bach was what? Because I'd actually it. never. Wow. So and I was going to work. I was going to. I was going to work at site on their in their office in Seattle which I thought was great because I didn't want to commute to the east side anymore. So you know, I told my boss that, and then I went to my office and I was doing my work because you know I didn't have short timers. I just, it was fun. I, I like working in software. But then his boss came to my office and said, hey, uh, I heard the news from Doug, and I, I want to know if, if there's a chance we could uh, get you to work here at a full-time job. 
I was so confused. I, I would love to have had a poker face, but I said a confused face. I go, oh, sure, that'd be an option. And they sent a goodie bag uh, with an offer letter assigned to it to my house like the next day. So, uh, yeah. And I said, uh, ST Labs. And I said, well, I got a full-time job, counteroffer for Microsoft. And I said, well, well, we can. And I said, yeah, it's all right. I think I'm going to do this thing. So I did that. And, of course, in their hurry to hire me, they got my... I was supposed to go to uh, new employee orientation, but in their hurry to hire me, they got the date wrong. So I never went. I never went to new employee orientation. I skipped it. And then I worked on Windows 95 and networking. That finished. I worked on what was going to be Windows 97. And then I was part of Bill Gates discovering the internet. So I worked on IE2 and IE3. I was I didn't like working at Internet Explorer, so I moved back over to Windows 98. I'm going to fast forward. I was On Windows 98, I was doing a lot of API tests for networking, which was a ton of fun. I took all the GUI tests I did and I maxed them to a hundred testing at the API level. So in hindsight, I don't think I need to test all that stuff, but I, I liked, I liked learning. I liked writing tests. I was, I was, I was learning to write code pretty well in the end of 98. I was also writing most of the API tests for GDI and user. Those are the core components, the user level components of windows. Windows 98 shipped. I moved to the Windows 2000 team. It was probably called something different then. And I worked on video capture drivers at the time when there were only about three cameras available in total. This would have been 1999 or late 98. I worked on those for a while. I worked for a guy named Brad Carpenter. It was a ton of fun, did a lot of work. There was no guidance on testing. I just wrote a lot of automation that made sense, mostly at the API level again. I learned Calm. Remember Calm, uh, component object model, and then I loved, I loved Calm. And then Calm. the and then the marketing department said, "Hey man, we need to do another version of Windows." We said, "What?" So we did another version of Windows. They pulled a sort of a skeleton crew. This is the story I tell. I think I've told it on this podcast, where I knew what I wanted to do, and our GM knew what he wanted me to do. Uh, during Windows ninety eight, we ignored debug windows, and I love like turning up the warning levels all the way up in my compiler, runtime analysis all over the place. We ignored the debug version of Windows 98, and it does so much for application development because of all the additional checks and asserts, and it would not boot. Wouldn't boot. Just like Boots check, booting's check, optional. Yeah, you, couldn't make it, you couldn't get it even get very far in visualization. And I had a wonderful learning opportunity. So first off, I said I want to work on this, and... Tom, our GM, said, oh, go talk to go talk to this guy leading our dev team. I talked to him. I thought he was a buffoon. I said, I don't want to work for this guy. We'll talk to Nick. Maybe you could, go talk to Nick about it. So Nick, Nick is kind of not, not as much of a buffoon. And I ended up doing that job working for Nick. I was going to be partnered with a person who was one of the pioneers in the Windows kernel. And he and I were going to pair on this. I was so excited. I was going to get to learn. And then I think the stock went up and he retired. So I had to do it on my own. And so this is where I learned x86 assembly. I'm probably going way out. I haven't got to modern testing yet, but I just, I like to make stuff go. I was mainly driven, not because I wanted to work in assembly, because I knew the value of having a debug version of this thing, even if nobody was ever going to use it. And I had a ton of fun on this product. This is where I pioneered some of uh, Microsoft's initial static analysis tools and fixed a bunch of those errors in Windows, in Windows uh, Millennium. 
M-E, which also stands for Marketing Edition, because it was the reason marketing wanted us to ship it. Remember at that time, Windows was the ship vehicle for a lot of products. You can just go to the internet and download stuff like Internet Hearts and uh, other crap like that. They wanted, to sh- they wanted a version of Windows to ship with. So right, there, was, there was no App Store then. Right. This is actually, we're finally getting somewhere. So after that shipped, uh, our, our GM, or our VP, went on to take over uh, Windows CE at Microsoft. So I w- went with him and worked on that. I managed the test team that did, for a while, that did all of our driver, kernel, everything low level. Actually, everything except the, actually, what didn't I, I didn't do graphics. Oh, actually, eventually I did graphics. So I ended up managing a huge chunk of the test team. I decided I wanted to get out of being a manager for a while. I didn't, it wasn't, I don't like managing. I love managing. I don't really like managing at Microsoft that much. So my manager said, well, what do you get? My manager said, I want you, you know, Windows just made these test architects. I want you to be a test architect. So I became the first test architect outside of core Windows over in Windows CE. And that's where I joined the test architect group where we had these these surreal discussions. And this is also where I, I got a little bit of, of imposter syndrome and I began reading books on testing and I read a book on testing and I thought, Oh, I know so much about testing. Oh, now I feel like a test architect. And then I read another one and I thought, Oh, now I'm a little bit confused. And then I read a third one and said, Oh, now I think I need to form my own opinions because there's a lot of BS in this technology. So that's, that's how I got thinking about testing. So fast forward, also on that team, I built uh, a CI system for our because people were breaking the build, stuff was breaking, so we put a put a gate in place where tests had to run. Uh, certainly wasn't continuous deployment, but we made people go through a. a I was going to say ba- pause because back then we didn't we didn't call it CI. We called it a it, gate. Yeah, a gate or a gauntlet, right? We. We didn't really have CI per se, because like the goals and the and the what happened. But but what I'm even even without a title, we can get out of the semantics of it. Uh, in in you know backsplaining or in hindsight, I was getting rid. I was slowing the team down to speed them up, and I didn't know why I was doing it. I'd never heard of lean at the time or anything, but I knew. If we slowed down a little bit upstream, we'd be better downstream. And that happened. So I worked on that org for a while. I ended up moving, I ended up managing a small tools team. So it's kind of one of those ICs, high level ICs that manages a few people versus a manager managing a lot of people. And that worked well for me. But there was an opportunity when Harry Robinson, name drop, Harry went to Google. And he was working in an organization called Engineering Excellence, which at the time under John, it was John Devon reported to Bill Gates and Engineering Excellence reported to John Devon. Oh, I want to go get that job. And I got that job as a test architect. And I started doing technical teaching. That sounds stupid. No, I guess it was. I taught testing to, te- to testers and designed some courses, gave some courses, ended up running that team. Uh, Microsoft. I was Microsoft's director of test excellence. I was in that role when I wrote how we test software at Microsoft. Some of you may remember that gem. It's not that old. And then it was during that time that I met a man named Brent Jensen. Wait, this we did this last time where you couldn't remember years again. No, 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 no. Because how did you get on? How did you get on the TLT? Again, I was director of test excellence, and part of that job was oh. to play sort of the. 
chief of staff for the Microsoft test leadership team. Okay, got it. Got it. So that's, I think, where I, I think maybe Whitaker had introduced us just either before or during, but I was getting you to come to those meetings and be a part of that group. Then at somewhere in there, you began coming to these test architect group meetings again. That's where this podcast was born. Because it was. We would have these conversations where Brent would, we would have good conversations. And as much as I make fun of Brent, I respect him. And I think he's, I think he's smart and does a lot of good stuff, but I know I can give him shit. Well, actually, by having a, a more vigorous debate, uh, we'll actually get to a good solution. I think the reason the principles have held up, if you compare it to the ones I originally wrote, what we have now, they're fixed because we were able to work together and debate and do those things. But we would have such animated discussions during these test architect group meetings that Michael Hunter, who I believe is now at Tableau, said, you guys should do a podcast. We thought, ah. <laughs> and then the podcast was born sometime in 2014. Sound right? You, you can guys look, can, you, you someone, guys can someone go can look do it the up. math and figure that out. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, I am still tester, tester, tester. But I haven't really done that much testing. I probably, it was probably since... Oh, actually, the the last time I did full time testing is like I, I do testing or test automation from as part as the majority of my day would have been Windows 98 because, oh, sorry, Windows 2000 testing video capture drivers. After that, it was making debug versions of Windows, working on low level components. I ended up being the person that debugged the kernel crashes and the stress runs overnight. And I, li- I love that stuff. Uh, when I moved on to Windows CE, I was a manager, so I wasn't testing that much. I did a little bit of brute force automation once in a while, but I was mainly actually figuring out, I was doing, again, debugging. I love debugging. I ended up doing a lot of it. When I joined uh, Test Excellence Group, I for sure wasn't doing any testing. When I moved to Microsoft Link, so it was Communicator, then it became Link, and then it became Skype for Business later. But I worked on that. Even there, I was coaching testers. I was teaching testers to do exploratory testing. Not developers, but testers. Uh, And having fun with that. From there, I went to Xbox, where I worked on infrastructure. I forgot that there were two teams we were on. Just, uh, again, twice. That's right. You were on the server side. Holy crap. Yeah, I I was on Link. (laughs) I I forgot you worked on server. I worked on the client team. No, I think when you were on... When you were on Link, I was in Media Center, and then Media Center through a series of reorgs. That's how I got on the Xbox. And by the time, by the yeah, I'm trying to okay. remember. Was well, there ever a time I was on Link server? I don't remember if we were ever on Link at the same. Watch time. Watch Brent quit and join Unity right when I retire. No, no, actually. So, yeah. Okay, so I, I want to get to the modern testing part. So all that, so I've been in all these roles. I've been test architect, manager. Uh, it was so we began talking. It was you probably head, around head the time of- I was in Xbox doing infrastructure that Brent to tie, kind of tie these timelines together. That Brent was doing agile stuff in Bing. I thought cool. For the record, uh, the infrastructure. 
I can't even call it a team. I ran infrastructure on Xbox as a virtual team. It was all just open source style, inner source there, style. There's one thing actually. So by that time, you were no longer, well, obviously, you were no longer in the education org. Right. I went from the education org or the X engineering excellence org to link and then to Xbox. But you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but if I if I remember correctly, even when you left, you still ran community events. Yeah, I kept running uh not test leadership team, but there was a uh at one point our t- kind of off maybe it maybe it's relevant. Uh we had a technical commuting technical TCN, technical com- I don't know. Qtech. Qtech. Well, TCN came to me and said, hey, we want to have a group of senior level people in the testing profession. Remember, we're still siloed. There's still massive test teams. There's still 10,000 testers at Microsoft. So just the senior people want to get together. We have funding to do that. And they they had a lot of money to feed us food. We went to baseball games. It was soccer games. It was great. And then we had the quality and testing excellence community, which I ran for about two years. Uh, and then TCN went away and I got my time back. I was in Xbox. Brett was learning Agile. I'm getting him to talk on panels and, and be part of these QTech conversations. Is Agile still very different? But it's our conversations. Like in that time, you came up with the accelerate the achievement of shippable quality. I thought, oh yeah, I get that. When Xbox shipped, I went on a sabbatical and I came back. Actually, I took a ton of time off. I went to Australia for a month, came back for a few months, went to France for three months, and then came back. But during that time, I was working on the stupid science project known as Astoria, which was the dumb thing to make Windows apps, sorry, to make Android apps run on Windows phone. Thought it would have been a much easier effort just to build, just to make the Windows shell run on the Android phone, but whatever, I'm not in charge. That product was never going to ship, but I wanted to learn Java and I wanted to learn Linux and it was fun. I just did random things, took it on. It was great. Uh, I got bored. I got so, so bored. I loved my manager, but I was bored. And I told him I was bored. I said, yeah, I don't know what to do. I, I don't want you to leave, but maybe you should. So I did. And this is where I, I was... Because oh, we didn't have a test team. This was the big move that happened then is I skipped the whole big important chunk. In the early parts of this org... We didn't have, we moved from Xbox to the stupid app and we didn't have any testers. This is my first time coaching testers on how, sorry, coaching developers on how to write tests. Can't believe I almost skipped this part. I did most of it through code review. I would ask questions like, hey, where are the tests? Oh yeah, we're going to get those in the next check-in. Ah, no, you should probably test, check in the tests now. Really? Yeah, because how... Why? Does the code work? Oh, I get where you're going. Yeah, I'm going to write some tests. And so I have a few of those conversations. Eventually gets to, oh, great, you have tests. And then I critique the tests. Why does your test doing 15 different things? When your test fails, how about you? Like, I've gone through this pain for you. So when your test fails, if your test fails, no, when your test fails, maybe you should have some logging to know why. Well, I'll just hook up the debugger. Is that really the most optimal way to do? Oh, I get, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Good idea. And then for all these things, the more I bring them up and the, and then other people would, it almost got to be a, what would Alan say? And then after a while, I wasn't needed to be on, to pay attention to code reviews because all the questions I was asking about improving tests were getting asked by others. So it was great. 
And again, I didn't care too much because the product was stupid. So then I moved to, <laughs> I moved from there to, uh, this was fun. I moved to what eventually became Microsoft Teams. And we all know the story. I loved the product for a while. They didn't have any testers. They hired me because I knew about testing. And a big part of my job was to coach, to help developers do better testing. I did on some places and other places, they were just happy to have their code suck. I won some battles. I lost some others. And what they gave me was a million dollar budget to go hire contractors offshore to help get this testing done. The idea was for it to be a stopgap so they keep moving forward while they address their backlog of missing tests. And to be fair, they had a hundred, this is, I'm sure you've all seen this. They had a hundred percent or not hundred. They had like, seriously, like 90 plus percent code coverage on their unit tests across the board. Nice. And what does that mean for quality? It means it's perfect. Ship it. Yeah. Or, well, you're missing 5%, but who cares? Yeah, there is there is so much. And this a conversation I've been having even today is the gap between works and good is much bigger than people think. And um, code coverage covers which of those topics? It covers works, kind of. Covers, it? covers some it of just works. means your test covers the code. It doesn't yeah, mean the yeah, code works. But your, te- your test passed. <laughs> anyway, so right. I learned a lot because actually I found out, this is where I really found out because I was doing less code review and more kind of hands-on working with folks and then the test. This is where I really discovered that, wait a minute, developers can really do good testing. And even though I complained about them missing some stuff that could have been automated, when I said, uh, when I said, okay, let's let's do a, and I hate, hate it, but we did a bug bash. Let's, let's work on finding bugs. And I gave them ideas. I gave them some heuristics. I gave them Elizabeth Henderson's cheat sheet. And we had developers find bugs that I think only the best testers in my career would have found. They absolutely were able to pick. They just needed to know it was okay to, to use their brains and engage and do some testing. And I had light bulbs going off and said, oh my God, I spent so much of my career. And we need to backtrack a little bit here. When I was in test excellence, my job was to celebrate the career and profession of the software tester at Microsoft. We had 10,000 testers, and I worked on career paths extensively to describe what it would be like for testers to grow all the way up to the highest levels. And man, the cognitive dissonance when I taught developers to be that good in testing that quickly, it's like, holy shit, I wish I knew then what I knew now because I did a bunch of shit wrong. I learned a lot there about teaching developers to test and in, we weren't very agile, but we, I learned a lot of things about shipping in an agile way. So we're able to ship our services on demand, which was great. We shipped our front end once a week. I wish we could have shipped it more often. And that's, if I think if I would have stayed, we would have got to a stage where we did that. I know after I left, they did so much of non-feature flagging and shoving stuff in for that weekly release that customers asked them to slow down the cadence. I don't know if that's better or not now, but we did a lot of cool, all the cool deployment tricks with blue-green deployments. And we did, we actually deployed our, what was going to be the next week's build in rings. They still call them rings there, rings or circles. So like we just pushed some buttons. First, it went to just me and my organization. And then once uh, our test team did their stuff, said, yes, it's pretty good. 
uh, we'd roll that out to all of the organization, then to all of Microsoft before we'd, we'd release externally. And I love that that phased rollout. We did it in steps versus a, a slider, but learned a lot about how to deploy in the, in, in the real world. So I got fed up with my manager for being a dick and I quit. I had a new job. I, I, I talked to the folks at Unity and they said, hey, well, I said, hey, uh, I'm thinking of leaving Microsoft. Do you have any jobs? Because they had, they had approached me like a, two years before. I said, actually, I don't have that other job. I have a new job. And I said, what is it? We need someone to run our services QA. And I said, question one, what is services QA? And they said, oh, all of our, the guy was my boss for all, didn't really know. It's like, oh, we have a bunch of stuff that it's in the internet. In the internet? What it ended up being is the way I described it. It was all the parts of Unity that use the internet. It was everything from the website to some stuff in the editor to things that are peer services like analytics and ads. And anyway, I, I this was a great job because all my interviews were all about getting to know fit and feel and not about stupid whiteboard things. And they never even asked for my resume until they forgot that they needed it in order to give me an offer. They're like, oh, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, I just realized you need a resume from you. That's cool. Here's one. And so I started and I didn't. Of course, I spent my last two teams not having QA, but I didn't join. And you remember this now because we were talking a lot about this as I joined. And I still remember our very last podcast at Microsoft when uh, we drank some tequila together while we podcasted. That must have been a while back. I didn't join Unity with like, oh, now I'm going to get rid of these testers. I joined Unity thinking, this could be fun to manage a QA team. And the challenge there for me was learning how to manage a globally distributed team. Very little of my team was in Seattle with me or Bellevue. Worldwide, the Unity Bellevue office is known as the Seattle office because uh, who knows where Bellevue is. Right. This is a lot fresher in my mind, but I remember a point when I realized, you know what, this is because they're all, it was agile-ish across the board. So all of my org were embedded into other teams and I was there to help them and coach them, help them to do the right things and give them advice and things. Okay. And that's what I realized. You may remember this on a podcast. I said, it's really a community. And then like literally like less than a month later, I was rereading agile testing and Lisa and, Lisa and Janet said the same thing in their book. An agile manager's job or agile test manager's job is to run a community paraphrase. I thought, Oh, well, I'm glad I'm just discovering this now. It got to a point maybe six months in when I realized that the right thing for me to do for Unity's business and for the career of these people was to get rid of them all. And I fired none, but I helped all of them move into different roles at Unity, into dev roles, yes. into quality coach roles, into DevOps roles. Uh, someone well-respected and you know, so I'm talking about him. Someone well-respected <laughs> across our entire org who was a, a QA lead reporting to me. And now he's like the, one of the most respected DevOps folks across the org. It's probably the most. I didn't set out to, it just seemed like the right thing to do. So within 18 months or so, or maybe two years, it took me two years. And it's funny how Brent used to joke about how I changed jobs every 18 months to two years. I said, no, I don't. But <laughs> Mother F is right. Confucius say, find the job you love and you'll never 
but work it was absolutely. I'm going to have to talk about even my new job now or what's happened since then. After about two years, I my team was gone, so I moved into what was then called our monetization org, which is ads and some other businesses. Now it's a much bigger org, and I have many more cool responsibilities. But it was really those first two years of me at Unity and going through that process is where we solidified and, and in my head really embraced what is modern testing. That and was the question I was going to get to is, is um, like to me, your experience on teams feels very much like how I felt about my experience on Xbox, right? You and I had fundamentally different experiences in that organization. Um, I, I was but, lucky enough to be put into a position where I was, my role was to do whatever the hell I wanted as long as it provided value. So it was, it was good. It was easy to have fun, but anyway, one? go oh, on Xbox. In Xbox yeah. yeah. No, uh, I, when I left Xbox, it, a big part of it. And in, I tell people don't leave a team, go to a team. Um, in that particular move, I did both. I was very much motivated to get out of Xbox because I thought the culture was just entirely dysfunctional. And then I wanted to go to a team that claimed that they were doing agile and uh, was actually happy about it. And, and they were doing services, right? I wanted to go, I wanted to go and find a place where I could learn by entrenching myself um, how software works differently in that environment. And it sounds like Teams was that for you. Teams was sort of your Xbox. It well, was like I, the I learned I learned a lot in Teams. I used to say on Teams that it wasn't until I ran all of the infrastructure and DevOps that I really began to have an influence over quality. And I've heard so I've heard other people say that too. Like there's so much ability to have influence in a good DevOps team. So I learned that there. I had so much influence over the quality by, by controlling our deployments and having an understanding of how to deploy. I learned a lot of basis. It was just a little bit of a toxic environment. And it wasn't a product in the end I loved anymore because product mistakes being made in choosing to, again, going back to lean, I had also developed my own principles about doing small things well. And those things weren't happening. I didn't have control over that. I just had control over the the end of the sausage maker. But I learned a lot about influencing quality and how I can control that from a uh, infrastructure point of view. And the same thing is then three years later or two year, two and a half years later, when I got the hang of it. I realized that now I own those same things plus program management and don't get confused on the Microsoft program management, but I control the aspects of how our engineering teams do their estimations and deliver and get get them to think about the things they need to think about to be ready to work and to be done. Now I have even more control over the quality of our products because I, I control the whole sausage making machine. The other teams I work with focus on product development. Everything I do and my teams do enables them or blocks them. It puts them, puts the right guardrails up, I should say, so they can deliver quickly and effectively and with quality. So I definitely learned some of that basis in teams going into my time at unity. While I loved accelerate the achievement of quality. And I think we had already had the modern versus traditional much earlier. I believe I was still at Microsoft when we had that debate. I can't quite remember. I don't think so. I'll look. 
I feel like we recorded that one in Lincoln Square. I have a, I have a memory. It, it could be I could be wrong, but worth looking up. It was definitely while I was experiencing a team or teams moving from traditional. Even it was actually they were moving from agile or fake agile. And again, uh, Lisa will probably listen to this episode eventually. Agile testing, as she and Janet describe it, is wonderful. Too many times in my experience, it wasn't, it was still the embedded tester was the one doing all of the testing. And that's unfortunate. But what I saw is teams where the embedded tester was doing all the testing and I wanted to move to that to real whole, whole team quality. When did, when did you move to Unity? Uh, what year? January. It's been almost four years because Barack Obama and I both quit our jobs on the same day. So we recorded that on September 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, it was after. But then the principles came up, and I really think we formed, I don't know if I've answered, I think without answering it directly and walking through that, I think maybe I've answered the question of how I came, how my career ended up getting to modern testing. It was sometimes, it was actually rarely purposeful. Here's the thing that I think that I realized that is common in both of our stories. Number one, there was an element of just had it with the dysfunction that caused us to move on. The team yes. where I'm where and, and then move on to a team where, number one, we both had autonomy. Uh, well, actually, we both had autonomy around how we would execute software. And we both made a decision to try out this agile lean thing. And furthermore, realized, holy effing crap, that completely works so much better than pretty much the best thing I had learned in the last 20 years. I'm drawn towards efficiency. Yeah. In fact, I loathe inefficiency. So if I see a better way of doing something, I'm drawn toward it. And it's just something I've definitely discovered, especially in the last uh, few years. Yeah. I remember in, 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 again, you weren't pursuing, uh, you said it like, Hey, the first thing I did was realize I needed to get rid of my team. No, but, actually, but, but it actually took several months for me to get, that wasn't what I wanted to do at all, but it got to a point. I was like, Oh God. Yeah. I'm the, the, the orb, the, the light that I was being drawn toward was one where we didn't have dedicated testers in our services orgs. No, but that wasn't what you were trying to do. What right, you right, were right. No, no. I, what I'm, you were trying to do is get rid of the, uh, what do we call it? The, 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 the codependency. Yeah, I was trying. I, I was trying to run an effective team. The safety team. net, right? Um, the, worth pointing out back, that one thing really cool to call out is during that time, one of the things I did in building this community was I had 90% of my team plus some guests hang out with me in Bellevue for three days and Brent came and gave a talk. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. The, the, there's, there's three times you asked me to come and do a talk. One was uh, that Agile panel uh, way back in the that, day. That way back at Microsoft at QTech. The second one was around the combined engineering transformation. I had left Bing at that time and I was executing it in the, the Power BI org. You asked me to come and talk about that. I remember... I remember uh, very fondly that one because your joke then, 
Do you remember what your joke was when you introduced me? No. Uh, you said, some of you may or may not know uh, this person. I don't know how he's going to do a 30-minute a talk because I'm fairly certain he can't even pronounce his name in short uh, than 10 minutes. Because All the, true. I would say the same thing today. <laughs> that's, um, that's not a joke. That's just that's just expectations. Yeah, so it was well framed because you you started it off with that challenge, and and I remember I nailed my time. But it, it, you're right. If you hadn't done that, I probably would have been the cause for going over. And the third time was uh, was a sort of a data culture discussion. Uh, it was actually uh, essentially the modern data oriented techniques for looking at and improving quality. Right. And that actually eventually became one of the decks that AST did or asked me to do. And it's up on YouTube now for those who care. I'm still thinking through your story and, and the similarity. And I think the similarity is these were sort of things that we've been actively thinking about for a while. Well, I can even and, maybe even uh, generalize this more is. One of the things we wanted to do when we started the podcast was help people who were going through any one of these transformational changes and help them understand there was a greener grass on the other side. And one thing common between you and I is we embrace change. We're not afraid of change. We like to try new things a lot. And we're not worried about screwing stuff up. We just want to try new stuff. Yep. The, the concept of best practices uh, hum, uh, not humbles me. That would be the exact opposite direction. Uh, annoys, uh, irritates me greatly, right? Best practices are now, right? Uh, anyone who studies systematics knows that once you have a current practice, you got it. Eventually, the whole system readjusts and constructs new problems. Like, uh, example, email came out. Email's fantastic. It's fast, right? I can, I can, I don't have to write a letter. I can, I can just type a letter, send it to Alan in five minutes, and I don't have to call him going, "Hey, did you get my letter yet? Did you get my letter yet?" But then what happens is it creates a new problem. Okay, it reduces the friction also for all the people who I don't want to get crap from. So now I'm buried by emails. I, I, uh, I get calls from Alan. Hey, Al hey, Brent, I sent you an email like three days ago that you haven't responded yet, right? I get the same, I, goes I've, back to the same I, initial I, I, problem. I, I've never called Brent, but I do remember this guy, Carl, on <laughs> Windows CE, would, he'd, uh, I'd see him walk up to my door and just stand there in my doorway. We had, we had offices with doors. He'd say, did you get my mail? I don't know. Well, can you, can you read it? <laughs> I, I no, get that all the time. No, I can't read. I probably got your mail. Send, me a, I have. send, send me a dead tree mail. Yeah. All right. So I, I like the parallels there. The parallels. We got to kind of wrap up here. So, what, so that's kind of where I got where I'm at. Ask me, ask me a question. Yeah. One question. So for me, I can remember like yesterday when when it all clicked in and why I knew this was actually correct versus me just rolling the dice and go, 
I'm pretty confident this is going to work, but not actually knowing. Did you have such an, an aha moment? Were you like, oh, yeah, I am never, I am never, ever going back. Kind of, kind of. And for me, you know, we had talked about this stuff and I had done it in practice. I thought, well, maybe there's more context I'm missing and it's not working and probably not only going to work if I'm there and it's just too much. And then I went, we camped with the principals and we thought they were going to keep on changing for a long time, but they really haven't changed. And I presented them at Test Bash in 2018, I believe. And the number of people that came out, this is a test conference. I thought I was going to scare the crap out of them. Right. The number of people that came up to me afterwards and said, oh my God, you're describing exactly what I do. Thanks for putting a name to it. I thought, what? What? Because I had given a talk a year earlier called Testing Without Testers. And I don't think I even believed, it was mainly how I did it and how it, kind of could be done and how I was cheating by using contract testers. But it was really talking about coaching developers. But moving from there to the principles and covering everything that kind of has to work together. And so much of that, as you and I will agree, is stolen from lean and the lean startup and agile testing that you know we kind of backsplain our way into that. But it really was probably test bash when I thought when it, when it became something I thought worked for me, that's something I knew could work for everyone. That was my aha. Okay. And I got to tell you, I've had groups I don't even work with at Unity as late as last week pull me into a Slack channel conversation. Hey, Alan, uh, we're doing this thing. I can't tell you what it is. Uh, how do you think modern testing principles would apply here? I don't even know you and you're talking about, oh my God. Wait, wait, is modern, modern testing principles like a, 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 a well-known brand within Unity? No, I mean, no, I, I have done no, I have done zero evangelism inside of Unity. People just find it and go, oh, hey, this looks valuable. And they track oh, me down. So, and go, oh, and this guy works here. This is cool. Or the other way around, like, who the hell is this guy telling us what to do? LinkedIn search. Uh, angry, we well, what the hell? You're right, it, it maybe probably, it I don't know. Likely goes the other this way. This has happened more than once. <laughs> yes, that's the yeah, that's cool. The um, yeah, I remember back in the day, no one's asked me to do this uh in a while, but back in the day, I, I had teams coming out of the woodwork asking me to walk them and onboard them to agile. Yeah, I remember. Nah. All right, man, we gotta close it up, but we're back on for every two weeks ish now, right? Yeah. Cool, cool. Hope you all enjoy the new time, new bat place, all that stuff. I'm still Alan. I'm Brent. We'll see you next time on the A-B Testing Podcast. <laughs>